Chapter 30 of Energy and Vibration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nature's Miracles, Volume 2, Energy and Vibration, by Elijah Gray. Chapter 30, High Explosives. In our last chapter, we saw the difference between the explosion of gunpowder and nitroglycerin under the same circumstances in the open air. We saw that the gunpowder exploded with a great flash, but not much of a report, while the nitroglycerin exploded with a terrific report, and at the same time rended the great rock into a thousand pieces. Why this difference? It consists, other things being equal, in the difference in suddenness with which the energy has been liberated in the two cases. In order to get a conception of what is meant, let us try an experiment. Suppose we take a board that is three feet square and move it in the air in the direction of its face or broadside. As long as we move it slowly, it will require but little force. But the faster it is moved, the greater will be the resistance offered by the air, until we can conceive of a velocity so great that it would be equal to striking a solid substance like a sledge on an anvil. And this is what takes place when nitroglycerin is exploded in the open air. Owing to the immense velocity of the atomic projectiles, they have to lift the air above them all at one instant. It is as though the air, for the moment, were a solid substance, extending upward to a great distance, and each square inch weighed 15 pounds. The pressure of the air when our board is standing still is equal on both sides, and when it is moved slowly, the air molecules have time to fill in behind it, so that the pressure is scarcely perceptible with a slow movement. If the velocity, however, is very great, there will be a vacuum formed behind the moving board, and the resistance would soon break it into splinters. If we should rest this board upon its four corners horizontally, and could by some means remove the air beneath it, and create a vacuum, the pressure on the upper side would be equal to nine tons weight. So, too, a rapid movement through the air would create a vacuum behind the board, so that the air resistance comes upon one side. And if the velocity should be increased to 1,200 miles per minute, say, the air would present an almost impenetrable barrier. In the case of the nitroglycerin explosion, it is this intense rapidity of expansion which condenses or packs the air above it making it impenetrable to the sudden expansion, when the force reacts or kicks back at the rock in which it is placed, and rends and heats it. The resistance is so great in the direction of the air that it is easier for the explosion to work downward through the rock than upward through the air. The air in this case serves the purpose that a cannonball does when forced on top of a charge of powder. The air offers greater resistance to the explosive energy of the nitroglycerin than the cannonball does to the powder, so that if a charge of nitroglycerin were exploded inside the barrel of a cannon, it would burst the cannon into pieces rather than find vent through the opening, which has no other charge in it than that of the air. It will be seen from the preceding that the air offers a greater resistance to exceedingly high velocities than a solid wall would do. If we place a quantity of nitroglycerin upon the ground and explode it, its greatest effect will be exerted downward, and it will tear a large and deep hole in the surface of the earth. Here is a curious fact in nature. The substance which is seemingly the most yielding to slow movements 
offers a resistance greater than that of a solid rock to velocities that are sufficiently high. The foregoing will more fully explain why gunpowder remains the most valuable agent known for firing projectiles. While it is far exceeded by nitroglycerin and other high explosives in its destructive effects when used for rending rocks or destroying earthworks, vessels, or buildings, it is the difference between slow and quick expansion. Nitroglycerin has been largely supplanted for military purposes by a substance called gun cotton. Gun cotton is formed by the same process as nitroglycerin. Ordinary cotton fiber is subjected to the action of nitric and sulfuric acid combined. After it has been subjected to this process and dried and finally pulverized, it ignites at a low heat and explodes like gunpowder, with the difference that there is no smoke accompanying the explosion of gun cotton. Smokeless powder is coming into favor for military purposes because the enemy cannot see from whence the firing comes. On the other hand, it has the disadvantage that the enemy is not so easily discovered as when the old form of powder is used. The gun cotton molecule, like nitroglycerin, is a complicated one, consisting of a number of atoms each of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen, and is so loosely held chemically that, like nitroglycerin, it can be exploded by concussion. For a number of years after the discovery of gun cotton, it was not known that it could be exploded in this manner. This latter discovery has brought it into great favor as an explosive for torpedo and mining work in military operations. It will explode with as great force when floating in water as when perfectly dry. The fact that it can be stored saturated with water precludes the possibility of danger from fire, as there was with the first preparations of gun cotton. Like nitroglycerin, it is not necessary to confine it in order to render it explosive. 450 pounds tied up like a bale of cotton and sunk in the water to some distance and exploded will throw a cone of water with a base not less than 225 to 250 feet in diameter, 60 feet in the air. This would be sufficient to destroy the largest battleship. The method of exploding gun cotton used for submarine torpedo work is by electricity. The cotton is exploded by what is called a detonator, which is placed within the bulk of the wet gun cotton. This detonator is made of some kind of fulminating powder that may be fired by a spark of electricity. The fulminate is placed inside of a small block of dry gun cotton, and the hole is sealed up so that it is waterproof. The object of using the dry gun cotton is to get a sufficient amount of concussion to explode the wet gun cotton. Dry gun cotton is very readily exploded by a very small portion of fulminate, which is not sufficient to explode the cotton when it is wet. Electricity fires the fulminant, the fulminant the dry gun cotton, and this in turn the wet. Gun cotton may also be fired from a cannon set in a shell containing water. The shell is exploded when it strikes by action of some form of detonator. Gun cotton is safe to handle if kept wet and kept away from explosives. In fact, you could smother a fire out with wet gun cotton, the same as with a wet blanket. And after it had performed this service, it could be utilized for blowing up a man of war without drying it out. A great number of explosives have been invented from time to time under various names, such as gun cotton, nitroglycerin, dynamite, lithofracture, cotton powder, tonite, glonoine, duoline, saxifragine, mataziette, glyoxaline, blasting gelatin, and many other unpronounceable names. All of these, like gun cotton and nitroglycerin, 
our nitro compounds and are substantially the same. Like many other new things, the name is the newest feature. Dynamite is simply nitroglycerin mixed with some substance that gives it rigidity and at the same time makes it easy to handle. In this form, it is used very extensively for blasting purposes and is sometimes called giant powder. It is very convenient for this purpose because it is only necessary to drill a hole in a rock and insert a stick of dynamite which is pressed to the proper length and diameter. No tamping is needed. The base of all these explosives is either gun cotton or nitroglycerin. Gun cotton is a nitro compound in a solid form, while nitroglycerin is also the nitro compound but in a fluid state. The discovery of gun cotton and nitroglycerin has introduced many new features into the methods of modern warfare. For instance, a new department of the cavalry service has been organized in some countries called the Cavalry Pioneer. Men are selected because of their daring and are furnished with fleet horses and light armor, as well as a belt filled with gun cotton or nitroglycerin charges, detonators, and time fuses. It is the business of these cavalrymen to make a dash into the enemy's territory and destroy bridges, disable railroad tracks, and tear down telegraph lines. Two of these cavalrymen, equipped with fleet horses, can make a dash close to the enemy's lines, plant torpedoes on a line of railway, fire a slow match, and be out of harm's way inside of a minute, and the explosion will tear up the track for several feet. Or they may attach one of these little destroyers on the side of a telegraph pole, and by the same method, in the twinkling of an eye, bring it to the ground, when in another minute's time they can sever the wires with cutting pliers carried for that purpose. Or they may plant two or three or more torpedoes upon a railroad bridge, apply a slow match, and before they have proceeded a hundred yards, the bridge is a wreck. In old times, when a battery of guns was abandoned to the enemy, it was the habit to spike them by driving a piece of metal into the fuse hole. It was often the case, however, that these spikes could be taken out by the enemy and the cannons utilized. By the use of these modern explosives, however, a gun can be rendered entirely useless by putting a small charge of dynamite or gun cotton in its mouth and exploding it. There was a form of explosive that promised at one time to be very valuable that was discovered by C. H. Rudd, an electrician of the employee of the Western Electric Company of Chicago. Very little is known of this explosive because the inventor was killed while experimenting, so that the secret, so far as the details are concerned, died with him. In general, it may be described as follows. It is well known to all chemists that the compound called chlorate of potash, or potassium chlorate, is very rich in oxygen. When it is heated to a certain degree, the oxygen passes off very rapidly, but so gradually as not to amount to an explosion. Mr. Rudd's discovery was that when the chlorate was heated up to nearly the point where oxygen began to pass off, all of the oxygen could be thrown off from the chlorate at the same instant by concussion, in the same manner that nitroglycerin and gun cotton are exploded. In order to bring this explosive into practical use, it was necessary to devise some means by which the potassium chlorate would be brought to the proper temperature for explosion by concussion in all places where it might be useful. Mr. Rudd was working out these details when the accident occurred that cost him his life. In general, he proposed to use the electric current for raising the temperature of the chlorate to the proper point for explosion by concussion. It was claimed for this explosive that it was as safe to handle as any other commodity, and that its explosive powers were as great or greater than nitroglycerin. Mr. Rudd's discovery offers a fruitful field for further investigation, which would prove exceedingly interesting and perhaps valuable. 
The use of explosives, as applied in modern warfare, has become a science of its own, the study of which is exceedingly interesting. End of chapter 30